What's up, everyone? Welcome in. Welcome to episode 55 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. It's great to be back on track, back on a Tuesday. Finally working out things in my in my schedule. My schedule seems to be all figured out. I, I now know kind of wh- how much time I'm going to have between classes, after classes, what kind of the course load's going to be like a little bit. Um, now that I'm really starting to get into the full swing of things, last week was just kind of chaotic. Going back to school, it was just a lot going on. But we're back. We're back on track, and it's it's great to be back uh, for you guys. So, uh, but I, I feel like a a complete idiot, just a complete dope, because I told you guys last episode that when I was on the air for the Musky Sports Blast on WMCO last Monday, I was telling you guys what I was talking about with the NFL playoffs, and I said that. You know, Tom Brady and the Patriots are going to go back to the Super Bowl, and I couldn't doubt him anymore. And then on the episode last week, last on Saturday, I had to, you know, start thinking and start analyzing stuff and overanalyzing and and second guessing, and I picked the Chiefs. And it wasn't that I was doubting the Patriots, but I just took a really deep and and really a logical uh, approach on this and it makes me look like just a complete idiot because it doesn't matter what Tom Brady has or doesn't have he's gonna win it doesn't matter and so I feel like an absolute dope now that the Patriots have beat the Chiefs and I really had it right to begin with and I went back and changed it and so I feel like a, a total Idiot, that's a big where Will was wrong moment. And then I also got the the NFC Championship wrong as well. I, I picked the Saints. They were my team the whole year. And Rams are going on to the Super Bowl. So it's a Super Bowl rematch from Tom Brady's first Super Bowl victory. Some eight or like some 15 odd years ago. So it's going to be Rams versus Patriots in Super Bowl 53. And really the big story is this this pass interference non-call that was in the Saints-Rams game. And, you know, I, def- I definitely understand the frustration. I, I definitely think that the Saints were robbed of an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Although I think there was some terrible play calling down situationally. You could have ran the ball on first and second down, but instead you passed, and then it kind of forced you to pass on a third and long in order to pick up the first down. A blatant pass interference. I mean, probably the the worst missed call in NFL history. So blatantly obvious, a, a pass interference. The ball wasn't even close. Like, it hadn't even gotten halfway there, and Mark Barron just took out. I think it was... I think it might have been Keith Kirkwood just completely just knocked him out of the play. It couldn't get any more obvious than that. And the refs missed it. But this is this is kind of where people overreact. This is 
you know, everyone, there's this talk now that the NFL is going to look into reviewing pass interference calls next season. There's been, I think there's some, been, there's been some talk about it before, but it never really got far. But you, you shouldn't make pass interference reviewable or non-called like plays where there was no penalties called. You shouldn't make that reviewable because otherwise you're just going to have every play, some of the most exciting plays of the game, big touchdown throws or, you know, big plays down the field that can be game changing field, field position uh, changing. They're, that's going to all be reviewable now. We we already know touchdown. All touchdowns are reviewable unless they're blatantly obvious, like you know, fifty yard breakaway runs. So they're already reviewable. But we don't need to give these referees another thing to review. I mean, during the, during the beginning of the season, all this talk was about oh, there's too many flags thrown, all this roughing the passer stuff, and you know, the, these refs are really flag happy when it comes to throwing flags. And then we get into the playoffs where usually, you know, refs let the teams play a little bit. And then we're complaining all of a sudden. Now I do understand the, I understand the frustration with this particular call, but generally speaking, you know, the refs did what the fans asked which was kind of let off the calls a little bit. There were some calls in that in that same game, some missed face mask calls. There's uh, there's holding on basically every play, but the refs are not going to call holding on every play. There's a lot of missed calls in in the course of every game during the course of every NFL season. And we always have something to to complain about every year when it comes to officiating and for good reason. I mean, these referees miss obvious calls, but the one thing I will say is we're all human. We all make mistakes. We're all going to miss things. That's one that shouldn't have been missed, and the league office admitted that that's, that was a blown call. That's one that would have ended the game in regulation, and the Saints would have won. But, I mean, you know, regardless of that call, the Saints, you know, it still went to overtime. It's not like the Rams won it in regulation. It still went to, went to overtime. The Saints won the toss and Drew Brees threw a pick. So everything outside of that play was fair. We, we don't need to get into this whole business of reviewing, reviewing penalties. It's just going to change. It's going to change the outcome of games significantly and it's going to make the game way less exciting than it is and it's going to make the game take way longer than it needs to be. Over the past couple of years, we've been trying to find ways to reduce the amount of time a game takes, making it go faster, eliminating, eliminating the time that referees are in the booth reviewing plays, and now we're going to add on to it because of one very bad non-call. I understand the frustration, but I would totally get it from a Saints fan. And as a fan of football, I, I mean, I just... You just get it. You, you no, no team deserves to lose that way. But it happens sometimes. Sometimes it's just how the cookie crumbles. It's just how it is. But don't, 
we can't we can't get into this business of reviewing every ticky tack penalty and making the game way less exciting than it's just it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Sure, is this going to go down as probably the most tainted Super Bowl ever? The most tainted NFC Championship conference title playoff game ever? Sure. But, I mean, what are you going to do? There is a clause in the NFL rulebook, though, that states that if a game ends unfairly or the commissioner deems it unfair, the commissioner can reverse the the outcome of the game or just outright replay the game. I'm not in favor of that. I'm not, that's, I'm surprised that's even a rule. I don't even understand why that's a rule, but that's, no. Just no. Outside of that one play, the Rams really, they won the game. And yes, that was a huge, huge play, but the Saints, they had a chance in overtime. They had the ball. I mean, it is what it is. It's a tough break. It's a really tough break. And for the first time ever, both conference championship games went to overtime, which is huge. And I think it's the it's only the second time in history that the AFC championship went to overtime. And there's a lot of uproar about that as well. Uh, the Patriots won the toss and they went all the way down the field on their first possession, scored a touchdown, won the game, clinched a Super Bowl berth. And now fans are up in arms because the the OT the OT system is a bad system. I, I for one am not a I'm not a fan of the overtime system, but right now those are the rules. It's not un it's not unfair. I don't think the OT system is unfair. I I don't like the OT system. I think there's a better way to do it, and I'll get into that in a second. But it's not unfair. Your team wins the coin toss, they get the ball. It's on your defense to stop them. There's nothing unfair about that. And if your defense can't stop them, can't fulfill that one obligation, do their one job, then you lose the game. That's just how it is. And that that's a that's just that is straight up fair. I mean the there's nothing unfair about the OT system. I do think it could be better though, and I think it would be more satisfying to fans in this way. You go to a college like overtime system. I'm not saying put the ball at the 25 yard line, the opponent's 25, and you just you basically play red zone football. I'm not saying that. I think you play it like regular regular football like a regular overtime period except if the team who gets the ball first scores a touchdown on their opening drive the other team the other offense gets the opportunity to come out and score as well i think that's going to satisfy satisfy a lot more fans and fans will say it's more fair although that's not the issue for me but I think it's going to make it more satisfying for fans. It's going to make it more watchable for fans. And it still allows all three all three phases of the game to be present. Offense, 
driving from probably your own 25 on a touchback. Defense. And special teams with kickoffs. You can still punt the football, field goals. All three phases of the game are still in play. It's not like you're just upon a 25-yard line, boom, go, and the only special teams play is a is a field goal. This way, all, all kinds of situational occurrences can happen. Situational coaching is much more prevalent. I think it would make it a more complete game that way. Because it, the overtime system, to me, it kind of leaves you feeling empty after a game if the first if the team who gets the ball first just goes down and scores right away it kind of leaves you feeling empty and like there's supposed to be more football to be played and i'm not saying it's unfair i'm saying it that it's totally fair those are the rules but you know this this is a way i think that would satisfy more fans it would leave you feeling better about the game knowing that both sides had an opportunity to to possess the football. I think it just is more fulfilling that way watching a game. And obviously there's the argument too that well if your favorite team gets the ball first and they score like if we change this rule to where both teams get an opportunity to score even if a touchdown scored first your team goes down and scores a touchdown, you would want the game to be over. Sure, I would want the game to be over, but those would be the rules in place at the time, and then you put the onus on your defense to go out and get a stop. Like, I'm a Cowboy fan. Cowboys won an overtime game against the Eagles earlier in the year, and we had the ball first, and we went out and scored. We drained all the clock and scored. Of course, I'm happy that that happened. And if it would have went the other way, and the Eagles would have done that. Yeah, I would have been upset, but those are the rules. That's just how it is. There's nothing we can do about it. It kind of does leave you, leave you feeling empty on the inside. You feel like there's got there's there's more football that needs to be played, but that's why I propose this system of even if a touchdown is scored first on the first possession for the team who possesses the ball first, other team gets an opportunity to match that. That's what I would do. Is I would change the OT system to that and then make the, and then we're not having reviewable penalties. I think that's terrible for the game. It slows the game way down, takes the excitement and the fun out of it. Uh, It's just not, it's just not worth it to me. All right. So there's some other things going on in the NFL. And this one actually was kind of surprising to me. Well, it's it's not surprising that after I when I first saw it, it was surprising. But then when you think about it, it's like, oh yeah. Yeah, I can see it a little bit. I can understand why this is out now. There's reports that Carson Wentz is a quote selfish and bad teammate and in Philadelphia. And obviously a lot of teams, and this this comes from anonymous Eagles players, but other Eagles players came to his defense, like Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, Zach Ertz. But, you know, this is it's pretty clear why this is coming about, and it's because of Nick Foles and what he's done over the past two years, leading the team to a Super Bowl, 
I get why this is coming out now. But if you want to tell me that, you know, you would prefer Nick Foles over Carson Wentz, like if you if you want to tell me that an Eagles that some of the Eagles players would prefer Nick Foles over Carson Wentz because of what he's done in the playoffs, because of his leadership, because of the way he spreads the ball around, because of how smart he is, um, because of how durable he is, and just how much of a pro he is and him as a football player. If you want to tell me that I'm all in, I'll buy that. But the moment you start questioning someone's character and and someone as a teammate, like we haven't heard a thing about Carson Wentz being like this for three seasons. Now we haven't heard a single thing until right this second. Like why, why are we questioning Carson Wentz's character because he didn't play in the most crucial months of the season the previous two years. That's no fault of his. It's just how it goes sometimes. Injuries happen. You just you can't prepare for an injury. If you want to tell me Nick Foles is a better fit for that team, he spreads the ball around, he does this and he does that, and he reads the field better, and he's just a better overall fit for the team, sure, I'm on board. But if you're going to tell me the reason why you're keeping Nick Foles is because of Carson Wentz's character, I'm not buying into that because we haven't heard a single thing like that since he's been in the league. I'm not buying into that. But I do do get why this report's coming out, and it's because of it's because of what's transpired over the past two years for the Eagles. I get it. But it's not that's not that's not fair. That's one thing that's not fair. Because then you're diminishing his his ability as a leader, his and just him as a player, really, and him as a person, and I don't think that's fair. The only way I'm going to believe that is if more and more reports come out or, you know, if coaches come out and say the same thing. The only way I'm going to believe that. I do think, though, that there's a market for both of these guys, Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. Me personally, I would keep Foles and trade Wentz, but I think the Eagles are going to keep Wentz and then trade away Foles. I think there's a big market for both of them. There's always a team that needs a quarterback. But moving along, Kareem Hunt is expected now, sooner rather than later, to join a new NFL team. As investigations into his domestic violence case um, near their conclusion. Um, but I would caution teams to be very careful when looking to pick up Kareem Hunt. We saw this earlier in the season with Reuben Foster and the Redskins. The Redskins kind of looked at the whole thing as small potatoes. Real, Really nothing had materialized yet out of it, out of that Reuben Foster situation. There was, uh, the investigations were going on, but there was nothing specific as to whether or not he was going to be convicted of anything. Um, although he had, he's had several incidents before. But 
the Redskins kind of handled this situation really poorly. They didn't, they just kind of disregarded the whole domestic violence aspect of everything, treated the whole thing as quote, small potatoes. And, and it really was a bad look for them. So I would really encourage teams to take caution when trying to go after Kareem Hunt. I get he's a really talented player, a young player. He's an excellent back. Led the league in rushing last season as a rookie. He's a great player. But these these kind of situations, I mean, this this is exactly the kind of thing that kept Ray Rice out of the league. And Ray, Ray Rice was a an amazing talent. One of the best running backs in the league during his time. And this is the kind of thing that kept him out of the league. It's something that kicked Greg Hardy out of the league. Granted, it appears it appears those two situations were worse than Kareem Hunt's based on the footage we've seen. It's these situations keep players out of the league as they sh- as it should. Teams got to be very careful, but if it's proven that Kareem Hunt didn't do anything wrong, He's cleared of any guilt. And a lot of times, the women involved in some of these cases lie and and say this happened when really this happened or there's been abuse going on, been going on for a long time, but really it hasn't been and it's just kind of um, using these players to kind of extort money. There, there are situations like that where women kind of abuse the legal system and try to throw these players under the bus and really dismantle their entire lives and careers to be, because of how famous they are and try to get their money. We've seen situations like that. But a lot of these situations are really real too. Like the Ray Rice one was real. Greg Hardy was real. Teams have got to be very careful and have really got to analyze this this situation and really make sure that Kareem Hunt didn't do anything wrong and that they've got all the facts for this before they go out and sign him. And if they determine that, that Kareem Hunt is all clear, then you can pick him up. Teams that have... One team that I know is interested is the Chicago Bears. They said that they they would likely be interested in picking him up if, in fact, he this investigation is all clear. Um, some other teams, I think the Miami Dolphins would be a fit just based on what they have. They don't really have a great running attack. And he would add a lot. San Francisco 49ers haven't really had a great back backfield, and he would add a lot to the offense behind Jimmy G. The Philadelphia Eagles are always interested in running backs. They've always got a plethora of backs, so I, I can see them being involved in the mix. Um, a team like the Oakland Raiders, who are currently rebuilding, if they don't want to use a one of their first-round picks or any of their draft picks on a running back. I can see John Gruden going out and getting getting Kareem Hunt. 
uh, maybe the Buffalo Bills, New York Jets. Um, we got to remember, Le'Veon Bell's on the market as well. And Le'Veon Bell's, he's going to have some bidders. Uh, my gut feeling on Le'Veon Bell is probably Tampa Bay. Um, the Colts, I can't see going after Kareem Hunt because Marlon Mack has really emerged this year as a solid number one. Um, I, I'm not sure if Baltimore would be interested, but there's going to be some teams that are going to be really interested in Kareem Hunt. He's an immensely talented back, doesn't fumble the football. He's really durable as well, but teams have got to make sure they get the facts and they really make sure that he is clear of all guilt in this situation because domestic violence is a very serious, serious subject. It shouldn't be taken lightly and you've got to take everything into account when when determining things like this, when determining what what's going to happen, and this is a this is another thing that kind of bothers me with this whole situation is we seem to hold professional athletes to a higher standard than everyone else, and I get it. It's the platform they're on. It's their their role models for all for for especially young children, and we hold we we elevate all of these guys on a platform. We put them on a pedestal and we just think of them as the almighty. But I think everyone, not only in America, but in the world, has to be held to the exact same standard as as one another. Like if, if domestic violence is a thing that can get you kicked out of the NFL, then it's something that should get you kicked out of your profession if you're not a professional athlete. Like if you're a lawyer, you sh- then you don't have a job anymore. If you're a doctor, you're not you're not a doctor anymore. If you're a car salesman, you're not a car salesman. If you're on radio, like I want to be, then you're not going to be on the radio anymore. This should be if we're going to hold all these players to the same standard, or or to a higher standard, and they get kicked out of their jobs and they no longer have jobs because of this, then everyone else has to be held to the same standard as well. Just because an NFL player does it doesn't make it any different than when a just your average Joe Schmo on the street does it. It doesn't make it any different. It's still domestic violence. It's still the same offense. In the court of law, it's still, you know, the same charge. It's still the same thing. Remember, the law is impartial to everyone. It's it's fair and just to everyone. It doesn't favor one over another it doesn't favor the power over the poor or the poor over the the powerful it doesn't it's impartial to everyone and everything so if we're going to hold these players to a higher standard to a high standard where they can be removed from their jobs from their profession and no longer work again then people in the real world people other people other general citizens of the US and really the world should be held to that same standard. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right. A couple more things in the NFL. Uh, And this is, we've talked about this many times before with quarterback money. Patrick, Patrick Mahomes is expected to sign a record deal 
over $200 million when he is eligible in 2020. First of all, this is a huge mistake. Patrick Mahomes is an immensely talented player, and I've said immensely a lot in this episode, I think. I think that's like the sixth time I've said immensely. But he's an extremely talented, what looks to be an all-time Hall of Fame talent. He seems to be a better, more athletic version of Brett Favre. That's what he looks like right now. And certainly, you're going to want to lock that guy down. But right now... You're locked into him for four years. <laughs> for, for It's not incredibly cheap. It's not like Dak Prescott cheap where a fourth rounder's on a only making a couple hundred thousand a year. So Mahomes is still making you know a good chunk of change for a rookie quarterback. But while you have him as cheap as you have him, you should use that money to build around your team, build around your quarterback. Beef up that offensive line. Get your skill players. Get pass rushers. The most important positions on the field, quarterback. But outside of that, pretty much everyone on your offensive line, especially left tackle. I would say left tackle and center. Then you got to get pass rushers. You need a solid middle linebacker that can run sideline to sideline and stop the run. And you need... A, a lockdown player on the outside, either a corner or a safety up top. And then, of course, in today's age of football, you need a, an outside threat at receiver. All teams in the NFL should operate on that same principle of building around your quarterback, trying to save as much money as possible. Patrick Mahomes is one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the league right now, based on last season. But you never know. He could always just fall right back down to earth. We saw it with Dak Prescott. He had a great rookie season, kind of regressed a little bit. But then he's back up to to playing his kind of football. He had a pretty good year this year. And then Jared Goff, his first year, he looked like a bust. First round, number one overall pick. Rams traded all these picks for him. Looked like a bust. McVay comes. He looks like a uh, an all-pro. Sometimes we never know what's going to happen with these young quarterbacks when they're coming off a really solid year. They could really fall back down to earth. Cam Newton had a sensational rookie year and kind of fell off a little bit. He's had his ups and downs. This is a huge mistake if you pay Patrick Mahomes that kind of money. No quarterback should be making over $30 million. No quarterback, not even Tom Brady. And Tom Brady will tell you that he, Tom Brady will probably tell you he doesn't need to make $30 million on his team because he probably wants to build around him. If you're going to pay a guy $30 million, it better be for one year, just for one season. And there's, and Tom Brady would be the only one I'm going to pay for one year because he's probably a year by year player. We don't know if he, when he's going to retire. But no quarterback deserves multiple years of $30 plus million. And it's just not smart from a team-building perspective. It's just not smart. 
Patrick Mahomes is probably worth $200 million, but he's not, he, he can't make that kind of money. That's just a, it's extremely detrimental to your team if you do that. You really just, just straddle yourself financially. You're just trapped. This is why this, if you're going to do, if this deal happens next year, you're going to have to make a separate salary cap for just quarterback money. Or you're going to have to make the cap softer. <laughs> like these quarterbacks wake, make too much money and it forces other teams to not value, uh, to overvalue their quarterback and not value their other players as much who are superstars in their own right. You got it. You got to either make the cap softer or you're going to have to create a, a quarterback cap separate from the rest of the team because after the Kirk Cousins deal, everyone became overvalued. Like Kirk Cousins really proved this year that he wasn't worth $28 million and that inflated the value of every other quarterback in the league who had a decent year. And that's detrimental to a lot of teams who don't have a bunch of cap space. This would be a huge mistake for the Chiefs to to sign Mahomes to a $200 million deal, especially when he's still on his rookie deal. Especially when he's still on his rookie deal and you've got him for semi-cheap. And lastly, Antonio Brown. Uh, it seems like he's definitely going to be traded here in the offseason. It's just a matter of when, not if. Some good landing spots for him, in my opinion. I think number one would be the 49ers. They're, they're the team that have expressed the most interest. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo needs a receiver, a legitimate number one receiver to throw to on the outside. Antonio Brown's the best receiver in football, arguably. You can move him, move him around all over the field. I think a presence like Antonio Brown would have a, a great impact on Garoppolo. And although Antonio Brown is kind of, he's not level-headed all the time, I think the 49ers will be able to work with that. I think they'd be fine. I did see a, a report that the I think it was Troy Aikman who said the Cowboys should go and get Antonio Brown. I don't think, number one, that's too much money. They don't have the cap space to go out and do it. Number two, I think it's just going to overclog the the group of receivers they have. Like They've got some good receivers. Amari Cooper is a top 10, 15 receiver. Cole Beasley is one of the best slot receivers in the league. Alan Hearns is a great number two receiver, obviously when healthy. Michael Gallup is a young receiver who's up and coming, and he he's shown flashes of of some great things this year. So I don't think Antonio Brown works in Dallas. Arizona, I think, works, especially with a young quarterback like Rosen. I think it works. I'm sure Russell Wilson would like another receiver because Doug Baldwin isn't exactly getting healthier. Tyler Lockett's been been really good the past year or two, but 
I think Seattle could make great use of him. And I don't know. The, I don't think the Packers are going to do it. The Packers never make moves on guys. But I think the Packers would, with Aaron Rodgers, they need a guy. That would be huge for them. And as far as the AFC, and the AFC, I, I really don't know. The Colts could maybe go after a guy like him, but he is dysfunctional and the Colts are not exactly a dysfunctional franchise. They've got the the probably the best GM in the league in Chris Ballard. And they're a really, really stable franchise right now. Although Andrew Luck needs weapons, I think they would rather draft guys and maybe sign some other guys than, than go out and trade for Antonio Brown. Although they got plenty of cap to do it, I don't think they're going to. And then New England, I think, would be really interesting. I, I, I don't I don't know if Belichick would do it. They've brought in some of those Steelers players before and it's worked a little bit, but I don't I don't know. I think the most likely spot is the 49ers. I think that's the most likely, but we'll see where where he ends up. And then I wanna I wanna shift to the MLB for a minute. I I, I haven't really been following free agency that much other than just, you know, the stars that are on the market. But what I want to know is why are Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, why haven't they been signed? Like, that's just what I was thinking about the other day. I was like, why are they not on a team? Like, why isn't... I thought Bryce Harper was going to go to the Dodgers after they made that trade. Uh, with Yasiel Puig, they traded Puig away and some other guys that that seemed like to clear some room for him, clear up a Ross, uh, a place in the outfield, put Bryce Harper in there. That's what I was thinking was going to happen. I thought Bryce Harper was going to the Dodgers, and then there was all this talk about the Yankees, and now the Phillies have really picked up steam. My gut is telling me the Dodgers. That's what my gut's telling me, but I just don't know why he hasn't been signed yet. We're like. We're like two months into the off season, and this and him or and neither him or Machado have been signed. Machado, I think the Phillies are interested in Machado as well. The Yankees showed some interest. I know the Dodgers would like to bring him back. I I, I don't know why these guys haven't been signed, and there's no real stories about it either. I'm just not uh, just just searching right now. The Phillies have a great feeling that they're going to land either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. They think they could land at least one of the two. And actually, (laughs) Tony Romo. Tony Romo has been in the news recently for just how great of a an analyst he's been on CBS, probably the best color commentator in the league just because of his unique perspective and how he's able to predict plays before they even happen offensively and he can show what defenses are doing like he is extremely extremely smart. He was a, a really good quarterback during his day. And he's probably and I mean he's probably as good or a better analyst. I mean, he is extremely, extremely smart. And a lot of times you have those 
you have quarterbacks playing your color commentator because they they are the ones that see all of the field and they're the smartest guys on the field. But like we've never seen Phil Sims or Troy Aikman or some of these other guys call a game like Tony Romo has in terms of predicting play, like literally calling out what's going to happen as it happens. He just studies the game so well. He recognizes tendencies. He knows exactly what's going on on the defense and on the offense on every play. He knows exactly what's going on. I think he would make an outstanding offensive or defensive coordinator, even maybe not a great head coach, but I think he would be a great coordinator in the league. He's not going to do it because he's making $10 million at CBS a year, but the guy is incredibly smart. And the reason why I bring that up is because you know, everyone's talking about it on social media and on the internet. And Bryce Harper made a joke and said, well, uh, I guess Tony Romo has decided where I'm going to be or just guessed where I'm going to play next uh, or next season. And then Romo tweeted back here. Yeah, here's the tweet. Let's see if I can find the tweet. Bryce Harper said, confirmed, just called Tony Romo to see where I'm going to play next year. Hashtag, you're a wizard, Tony. And then Tony Romo quote tweeted it and said, well, it looks like you're going to be playing for the Texas Rangers opening day with a wink face. So obviously joking around, but like back to Bryce Harper and Machado, I don't know why these guys, I don't know why these guys haven't signed anywhere yet. If I just search Manny Machado and see what. I mean, there's nothing. The only article I'm seeing here is could Manny Machado really lose, quote, lose in 175 million free agency letdown. So I'm guessing he's I'm guessing he's probably received offers and have kind of turned them down. I just don't understand why these two guys haven't been signed. Bryce Harper is probably behind Mike Trout, the best player in baseball. And Manny Machado is up there with one of the great hitters and third baseman of the game. I don't get it. My gut feeling, though, is that I I said this a while back. My gut feeling back a couple months back was Bryce Harper was going to the Dodgers. And I'm going to stick with that. And then Manny Machado, uh, although the Phillies are really picking up steam, to me, it's tough. It's either the Phillies or the Yankees for Machado, but I think Bryce Harper is definitely going to be a Dodger next season. That's my gut feeling. I'm not a huge baseball guy. I don't know a ton of baseball, but that's just that's just my my gut feeling on that. And then we're going to segue now over to the NBA. Um, Some big news. Well, I guess it's kind of big news. But Carmelo Anthony finally traded by the Rockets. They finally unloaded him after, you know, things didn't really work out between him and the Rockets this season. Traded to the Bulls with cash. And then the Bulls are just going to sh- just release him and he's going to become a free agent. So back to square one for Carmelo, I guess. 
it's kind of sad that you know this is how it happened. Like the Bulls literally, like the the Rockets literally had to pay the Bulls to take Carmelo Anthony. They paid one point five million dollars along with Carmelo for them to take him, and then he's not even going to play a game for him. It's really sad because Melo is a Hall of Fame player. He's got a Hall of Fame resume. He's one of the great players, great scorers in the league, in, in league history. And he's a guy that can still play. He's better than, you know, 80% of the league. And yes, he can't shoot the three like the league is really gravitated towards the three-point shot, three shot. And he can't shoot the three that well. And he kind of needs the ball in order to operate. And the NBA has kind of become more of a ball movement, three-point shooting league. But there's still plenty of guys in the NBA who do a lot of facilitating one-on-one scoring. Like James Harden is literally the perfect example. James Harden does not. I mean, he, he does pass a lot. He gets a lot of assists. But all of James Harden's scoring is done in the ISO. He does like he doesn't catch and shoot. He doesn't like it's just all dribble drive and step back jumpers and it's all individual work. That's literally what Carmelo Anthony is about. Granted, James Harden is a lot younger. He can move a lot better, and he's just a better player than Melo. There's still a place for Melo in this league. Even if he's not a starter, if he comes off the bench, he's still going to be going against, you know, second team guys. And I'm not saying he's going to go out and dominate, but he's a guy that can get you 12 to 15 a night if you play him, you know, 25 minutes. I still think there's a there's a place for this guy in the league, and I think there's reports that the Lakers are interested. I don't know if I'm a big proponent of that. Although the Lakers have been struggling lately, maybe Melo is what they need. So some someone who can just flat out score because really they've struggled to score the ball recently without LeBron. Brendan Ingram hasn't been anything, and I think he's got to be traded for whatever you can get. Really, I I would go and try and get Anthony Davis. You package together Ingram. You can't trade Lonzo now. Lonzo's untradeable. Because of his injury. And then Josh Hart. I think you could get Anthony Davis. If you throw some other things in there. But that's obviously not going to happen. Because Lonzo's not a trade piece anymore. Lakers are going to be out of trades. This season. They're not going to make any kind of big moves. If at all, if any moves at all. Mellow to the Lakers. I think could work. If they're looking for someone who can just flat out score. Other teams that are contending. That could use him. I really don't know. I certainly think he's a guy that can help in the playoffs. He's got playoff experience. He's been to the West Finals before. I really don't know. I don't know what contending team is going to want to take him. I thought the Rockets would work out fine, but really, they didn't give it a chance. I think the Lakers is probably his last shot. In this league. Like if he goes to the Lakers. And it doesn't work. They've got to give it a chance. First of all. It can't just be like 10 games. on. Oh we're going to cut you. Or we're going to try to trade you. Like 
It can't be like that. You got to be committed for at least 30 games or at least for the rest of the regular season. And if it doesn't work, I think this is Melo's last stop. And he should either just retire or if he still wants to play that badly, go play in China. I don't think Melo's going to do that. I think Melo would rather retire. But right now, I think that's his last shot. I think the LA Lakers is his last shot if indeed they're the only team that's interested. I think the Lakers are his last shot. All right, well, that's it for this Tuesday episode, episode 55. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at The Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Like, comment, and follow me on SoundCloud. And want to kind of let off some big news here. Something big is coming soon for the Will Ford show. I'm not going to spoil it just yet, but something's coming soon. I'm I'm working on something um, that I would, that I would like to do kind of in tandem with this as well as try and be more active on Twitter and kind of really just build this brand, but something big is coming soon for the Will Ford Show. I promise you that. I'm not sure how soon, but it's coming soon. We'll see you in episode 56. It's WFS. <laughs> <laughs>